This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We are happy to have Julia Maloney, author of, let me, let me pull the banner up here to get the full title. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the St. Gallen Mafia, exposing the secret reformist group within the church. If you haven't heard about the St. Gallen Mafia, um, you should definitely check out the book. There's a link in the notes to Tan Books. It's a Tan book uh, that is just now coming out. I think it came out, what, did it come out yesterday? Um, it came out on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Well, congratulations for writing it. I have so many questions for you. Uh, you were kind enough to give me an advanced copy, so I know largely what the book contains. Um, the first question is, uh, just give us an overview of what readers are going to find in the book um, in terms of um, like like the historical period that you cover, that you zero in on, um, so that we can just get a sense for uh, what, we're, what we're looking at um, today. Yeah, so um, I think it helps to kind of think of the book as two parts. So the first part is called War, and the second part is called Time. So part one is um, basically the, the pontificate of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and it starts right at the 2005 conclave, um, you know, just, just a few moments before and, and the necessary backstory that you need to understand the conclave. And then it goes goes on from there. But there are flashbacks. A lot of the early chapters, um, 
they have a, a central character. So like the first chapter about the conclave is called the next Pope and it's kind of everyone. And then the next chapter is called Silvestrini. So it's one of the members of the group. And then there's one called Martini, Casper, Daniels, again, more members of the group. And then we kind of go to the end of the pontificate of Benedict XVI and his resignation. So that's part one. And then part two is called time. And it kind of reflects the fact that there's kind of this timer ticking and also that Pope Francis kind of has an obsession with time. He has that phrase, time is greater than space. And so we kind of uncover some of the layers of that. And it's um, Pope Francis's pontificate and it starts with the conclave that elected him. And then it's the same thing where it has kind of like Pope Francis juxtaposed with a character from the mafia. So there will be one chapter where it's kind of like Pope Francis and Casper and what are the connections? Um, referring to Cardinal Walter Casper here. Um, there's one on Cas um, Pope Francis and Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini. Mm -hmm. So, and then it just kind of goes to where we were at. Um, ba basically the last thing that happens is maybe the end of 2000, um, I can't even remember. It's it's something, one of the speeches that he quotes from Martini that was in December of um, maybe 2020 or something. So it's it's very it's very up to date. Um, it's very, very close, um, close in time to where we are now. Okay. What um first of all, it's no small thing to be published by Tan. Uh, so my hat's off to you. Congratulations. Thank you for writing the book. Um, I, I always, when I, when I pick up a book, one of the questions that goes through my mind, especially a book like this, that's uncovering facts and presenting them to the world, um, is why, why did the author spend so much time compiling these facts, unearthing these facts? What drove you to write this book now and, and towards the end of 2021? Yeah, um, I I have been fascinated by the St. Gallen Mafia ever since the dictator Pope um, came out. And it had that first seminal chapter called the St. Gallen Mafia. And that's where I really started learning about Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini. And um, he, for anyone who doesn't know who Martini is, um, he was just like the towering liberal figure of his generation, the, the towering leader of the liberal church around the time of um, Pope John Paul II's pontificate. And I have been just fascinated by him. He, to me, even though the, the book rotates among characters, to me, the heart of it is Martini and it's Martini's story really. And, and he's the kind of ghost who's still haunting the pontificate. And um I started writing a bunch of articles about this. Um, I had this article called The Man Who Was Antipope, A-N-T-E, like an antecedent, um, a precursor, a preparer for a future yeah. pope. Yeah. And I, you know, the, the book, uh, Life's, I wrote it for Crisis Magazine and LifeSite News re republished it as well. And, you know, it had like 100,000 likes and shares on social media. It, it just really kind of um, brought a greater awareness to this figure of Martini. And I continued writing articles. And I just believe, at, at some point I realized 
you know, you need, you need to just write a book instead of just writing article after article about this group. And at some point, you know, I was, I just have this deep conviction that Cardinal Martini in particular is a hermeneutical key to understanding Pope mm-hmm. Francis and this pontificate. And we need to kind of get the word out about and do a deep dive into what that means. Um, r- readers of the book contrast the level of information that they're going to find in your book versus those who perhaps maybe started their journey to tradition um, with Taylor Marshall's book, Infiltration. I think Infiltration uh, covers a much longer time period than yours does. It's a much broader overview of the last 150 years. It He does touch on uh, the conclave of, uh, you know, of 2005 and then again in 2013. Um, so what are we going to learn in your book that we, maybe we know some of the overview facts, but, but um, contrast that um, between those two? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, so I, I think, um, as you said, infiltration has a, a much longer view, a wider view. It can't, um, by the nature of the project, it can't zoom in as much on with, with the same level of detail because my time period, um, as I said, starts with the 2005 conclave coming up to roughly today, but with backstory from the second Vatican council in the seventies and that sort of thing woven in. Um, but basically um, the, I just, I was just looking at Amazon. Um, I got one of my first reviews there and um, this reader there said that it, it reads kind of like a thriller, except it's, it's not fictional. Um, so they, they will have a lot of um, zoomed in detail with over 600 footnotes and yet it still reads like a story with characters. I'm, I'm an English major. I um, got two different degrees in English. So I, I care a lot about stories, characters, symbolism, cliffhangers, suspense, the literary aspects of telling a story. So there's a lot of that in there. Um, but it, it should um it should be very, it should feel very tightly focused and uh, just a deep dive into, into this topic. One of the things I was so surprised about um, that you very bravely covered was the disordered uh, nature of so many of these people and the, the really uh, the lavenders that are floating around. Um, I think it was brave of you to do that. Um, Having said that, do you at all, I mean, have you thought about the repercussions to your, to yourself? I mean, you know, like literally, do you, do you fear for your safety after having um, presented such a, such a really a damning um, condemnation of, of the homo mafia, the lavender mafia, the St. Gallons mafia, who are in some cases, the same people, but really they, they overlap. And in some cases they're not, I mean, like, do you, do you sleep well at night? Like, you know, do you, do you disclose your location to anybody? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's a good question. Um, I, 
I announced this book on Twitter two years ago um, because because I'm I was excited and sometimes I can be impulsive and so I you know just told everyone I didn't even have a publisher yet and I just told everyone about it. Um, but someone wrote in there and said, you know, um, I highly recommend you, you know, you say these Father Ripperger recommended prayers, you know, just to kind of keep, keep yourself safe. Um, I think that honestly, I, I, I think it's kind of more likely that the people who might find this disconcerting would try to ignore the book and, and in that way downplay, you know, any talk of it and try to kind of keep it go, you know, make it go away. I, I think that's more likely if anyone sees this as some sort of threat. But um, definitely, I, I don't know, I, I think it's important just for everyone, um, no matter where you are in this kind of spiritual battle, you know, to have you know, do your first Saturdays. I, this is probably the third interview where I've gotten the opportunity to say, you know, do your first Saturdays, um, have your scapular, just wherever you are in, in this battlefield. Um, it's always good to have the requisite, you know, spiritual um, weapons um, to protect yourself. Is this, uh, I, and forgive me if this is a dumb question, but is, is this your first full uh, full length book? Um, yes. Um, it, no, it's a, it's a great question. It's my first full length book. Um, I, I had only done articles, um, before this articles, I got my start in crisis magazine, mm -hmm. um, in 2016, I started writing about the, the Francis pontificate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, let's answer an objection. Um, put yourself in the shoes of, you know, somebody who says, as a, let's say, as a 14th century Catholic, if some of this stuff were, were happening in Rome, I never would have known about it. Um, you know, I hardly would have even known the name of the Pope, but for, you know, knowing that the name is said in the canon of the Mass. Why do I need to know these details? How is it going to change my life? Doesn't this, you know, potentially, this information potentially distract me from um, my, my daily duties as a Catholic, uh, answer that objection. What do you think? Um, well, I, I, of course would say, um, I think, uh, Father Chad Ripperger, the exorcist who I alluded to earlier, you know, he's, he says something in one of his talks about how, um, you never want to become so attached to the news or even Catholic news that it's hurting your spiritual life. So certainly if someone is very, very sensitive and reading this sort of thing makes it unable, makes them unable to pray or, or do that sort of thing, you know, certainly do whatever you need to do to keep your spiritual life in order. But if your spiritual life is in order, I think um, having some sense of what's going on in the church is really, really important. Um, I just want to use the, myself as an example. Um, when I, I, I've been mentioning to people just the fact that when I, when this pontificate started, um, I only read positive coverage of the Pope for three years. And my, my sister would call me and tell me different things that were happening um, like the Vatican Light Show and other things. And um, 
I, I would just make excuses for, for anything that she told me. Um, and that was my posture. And then Amor Saititia came out and I had to make a choice whether I was going to uncover the truth about the pontificate and speak up about it or whether I was just going to go along with what was happening. And that was a, it was a life-changing moment for me because then um, I, I never set out, even though I have English degrees, I, I never set out to become a writer. The only reason I started writing articles was because I saw other people around me speaking up and I felt like I needed to speak up as well. So um, even if someone is not an inspiring writer or um, doesn't have social media or something like that, um, I, I think this is an opportunity to to try to get at what's really going on and to be educated about that so that, you know, when when something comes up like a synod or, or something else comes up, you can know how to how to react without kind of getting swept away in something that that perhaps you should not be cheering on. Uh, man, that, that creates two follow-up questions in my mind. Um, I'll throw them both at you at once. Um, the first question is, why do you think it is that, uh, I mean, I mean, given the, just, just the blatant evil of, of, that we see in the world, a lot of which comes from this particular pontificate, why do you think it is that, that the only, um, media exposure that you ever heard for years was all positive? And then, um, and then secondly, um, do you think that other lay Catholics like yourself have a duty uh, to speak up? And do you think uh, consequently to that, that us speaking up about it will actually affect any change or, or results in anything positive? Yeah, um, th- those are all important questions. I think that um, in the beginning, um, I... I, I was so swept away with just the, the 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 romance of oh we have our you know first pope from from Latin America and you know all all of the positive imagery was so compelling to me that um, it it was easier for me to decide from that moment on that I, I wanted to be in this honeymoon period with the with the pontificate and so I did read. Um, different Catholic sources, but they were all favorable. And if they had to confront something negative, they explained it away. And so there were characteristic excuses that were used. And I and I learned how to deploy them as well um, in that period. It was really, you know, in 2016, I started reading the kind of outlets that I write for now. So I, I started reading things like Crisis Magazine um, LifeSite News, et cetera, that um, re- really gave a, a critical critical um, viewpoint on it. So I, I think that um, the, the Catholic media world, you, you have different, you know, as you know, you have different segments of it. You have segments that will, that will never say anything negative about this pontificate. And you have segments that in a fair way are, are able to offer critique. And, and I found that absolutely important. Now, in terms of people speaking up, I, I think it's absolutely um, necessary because, y- you know, um, 
sometimes Pope, Pope Francis's allies, um, they'll, they'll do, or media outlets that are favorable to him will have these little diatribes against, I don't know, people who go to the traditional Latin mass or um, people who are um, too conservative for this pontificate, that sort of thing. And to me, like the fact that they're constantly harping on some of these different um, issues suggests that they they do fear the, I mean, they, they fear that voice. Remember the attack, of course, that they had on EWTN and um, implicitly Raymond Arroyo's work and, and all of the good work that, that is being done there. Um, it, it shows that they, they don't want to have any criticism. So even if your voice is only heard by um, sharing, sharing an article or sharing an opinion on social media, I, th- I think that, that, that I think that part of the discourse is really important. Yeah, I, I think uh, I happen to think you're right. I want to zero in on one of the villains uh, that you do an entire chapter about is Cardinal Casper. As we witness uh, the German speaking world in full and blatant schism, um, they are they are no longer Catholic. Um, they 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 may possess the assets of the Catholic Church and the veneer of the Catholic Church, but they are fundamentally dispossessed of the core of the faith. And Casper is one of the reasons why um, he's very close to Francis and um, in your chapter about him, which, which um, I, I flipped straight to that one just because I have an interest in, in him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's here, he is trying to disrupt traditional teaching on marriage and the Eucharist and uh, the family and uh, um, Catholic economics and um ecumenical dialogue he's not i mean he's really a symptom of a of a philosophy that's been around for a long time but he's not going anywhere i mean talk to us about like you know if first of all is i don't even know this is your book going to be published in german i mean, that'd be helpful i, I suppose but. um i I would love it. I have no idea about translations. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing I know is that there will be an audio book um, com- coming soon. Oh, that's um, great. Are, are you going to read it or are you going to have a uh, voice actor read it? Um, because I found out about it late, I, I think that they must already have someone else. But um, yeah. But I, Tana is a well-oiled machine. You're just on yeah. the train and, and you're letting <laughs> the conductor do their thing. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Casper is the fascinating figure. We all, I mean, a lot of people, he's, he's going to seem really familiar because a lot of people who read the book have kept tabs on what was happening during the, the Synod on the Family. Um, it, it was kind of weird for me, you know, when I was really researching the book. Um, as I said, I only read positive coverage and superficial coverage. So while it was ap- actually happening, um, I was completely off in another world. And and so I was, you know, having to, to go back and kind of fill in the details about what was happening. But Casper... To me, the interesting part is that he, you know, in the 70s, um, 
you know, he was agitating for communion for the divorce and simply remarried. He signed a memo that Carl Rahner and Carl Lehman, um, Carl Lehman is another mafia member. I don't really talk about him very much in the book, but um, a memo on basically overturning priestly celibacy and Casper signed that. And um, to me, these kinds of moves signal that this is a very long war that um, the mafia members are engaged in. And um, this is a long game that they're playing. And Casper, the, the patience of Casper just really, I mean, you have to be kind of in awe of it because he he waited and then in the 90s he tried in i believe 93 he tried to to you know with with carl lehman and and one other person they tried to have that pastoral experiment experiment for communion for the divorce and civil civilly remarried and then ratzinger shut it down mm-hmm. and then they kind of go underground or they don't talk about it constantly and then they have this other other related moves and then and then here, here we are in Pope Francis's pontificate, and then you have a Mors Laetitia. I mean, it, it, it's a really long game that these mm-hmm. men are playing. Do you think that the you think the clock's running out on the game? Do you think? Uh, do you buy into the the commonly held belief that Francis probably has? pancreatic cancer or some other fast moving um, disease, which is causing him to lash out more violently, more quickly. Uh, He's, he's trying to, um, he's trying to suppress the traditional Latin mass totally uh, prior to his death. Uh, do, Do you buy into any of that? I mean, or do you have any sourcing that, that implies any of that could be plausibly true? Um, I, I can say generally that I feel like we are in something that has the mood of an end game. When I was writing the book, I really wanted to make the last chapter of my book end game. But as I was writing, I felt like I didn't quite, it it wasn't quite justified by the actual events because I was, I was writing about things like Corita, Amazonia, and that sort of thing. And I just didn't have, and then, you know, of course, with the, the novelty of, of the COVID stuff happening last mm-hmm. year, um, it, everything seemed to be in pause. But now, the, now that Tradiciones Custodas has come out, and then we have the acceleration of, um, you know, the syn- Synod on Synodality, um, we're, we're going through it more, more quickly. Um, to me, those two things, like they, they do have the mood of an end game. I, I have been shocked at, um, I was shocked at how iron fisted Tradiciones Custodes was. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm frank, frankly, very, very worried about it. I don't know anything about his personal health. Um, I don't have any, any special, um, special sourcing on that question, but um, whether it's for that reason or for some other reason, um, I, I think we we are kind of running out of time. What do you think is going to happen in the next conclave? I know this is speculation beyond the context of your book, but it's 
your speculation, your opinion would be firmly grounded in your understanding of the mafia, the St. Gallen's mafia, which isn't going away. And as you said, is playing of the long game generational war. Um, what's, what's the, what is, are we, are we in for Francis the second, um, you know, even more merciful <laughs> or um, I mean, what, what's coming down the pike? Yeah. Um, I like to say that I think we're in for a dark horse. Um, I think that, I think that the, the, the playbook, um, if we look at the playbooks of the past two conclaves, let's say, um, so of course Ratzinger won in 2005, right? But, um, and Bergoglio placed second. And Bergoglio, um, there had been some hype about him because um, in 2001, I think Sandro Magister had um, some, some articles about him uh, possibly becoming Pope. And Bergoglio at that point, um, he was, I believe he was still in his 60s. So um, that speculation seemed warranted. Now the, the next conclave, um, of course, Bergoglio was um, older and he did not seem to be a great, a great candidate. And he just took, took the world by surprise and inaugurated a, a papacy of surprises. I think that in whoever, whoever they are preparing or they have their eye on, um, I, I think it's going to be someone that they would want to, to, you know, take the world by surprise again. So mm-hmm. that's why when I, I just personally, I'm a little skeptical, um, just, just by default when a, a certain, you know, when people talk about Togle or, or some of the other big names, um, as being prepared, I just think they're going to be more subtle than that. And I think that it's someone yeah. probably not even on my radar or, or, or anything. Yeah. I generally think you're right about that. I think they're going to, they're going to tread somebody out. They're going to give us a couple stocking horses uh, for us to, um, you know, to throw us off the scent, but they probably have someone lined up. Um <sighs> As people want to know more about you, uh, the author, and I think that's that's just a natural thing. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, um, are you married? Um, do you go to Latin Mass? Um, are you going to write more books? Uh, are you going to continue? You know, down this path. Uh, and what are your what are your goals and aspirations? Yeah. Um, so I I am a cradle Catholic. Um, I I had a really good upbringing. Um, my family prayed the 15 decade rosary every day. Like I just had a really strong beginning. Um, we didn't go to traditional Latin mass. We didn't have it close by or anything, but that is something that um, in my adulthood, um, when when I have been able to live close, you know, reasonably close enough to a traditional Latin mass, um, I, I have always gone and um, I, do, I do live, um, in an area that does give me access to traditional Latin masses. So I, I do attend a FSSP parish. Um, I, if we back up for a second, I, I did my education at Yale and Harvard. 
um, studied English literature. I, my focus was actually on the Middle Ages. So I, my senior essay in college was on St. Catherine of Siena and a translation of her Italian um, dialogue for medieval nuns um, in, in England. So I, I did a lot with like Middle English texts like Chaucer, Old English texts, manuscripts. So even though these were schools that had a lot of cultural Marxism and I did have to learn a lot about that, um, I kind of hit out and learned, um, you know, learned, learned, some, learned Dante and that sort of thing. Um, I, uh, I did after, after school, um, did get married and, um, I have a family and, um, I'm, so writing is some, writing is, is like, uh, it's not like a full-time job for me. It's like something that I do on the side and, and everything. And it, it wasn't, as I said, it wasn't even on my radar. Um, it, it was literally only because I felt like I needed to speak up mm-hmm. during this project that I started writing. But I do really enjoy um, writing and I enjoy like the Catholic blogosphere, so to speak. Like I, like I enjoy connecting with, um, you know, different Catholics like on social media and other colleagues and, and just, you know, having conversations about this. Definitely. Yeah. Final advice uh, that you would give, final question, advice you would give to faithful Catholics who are not disillusioned per se uh, by what they're seeing, but uh, what would you tell anyone who's listening to this broadcast uh, or watching it in terms of not losing heart, in terms of continuing to fight, in terms of maintaining the faith and maintaining their equanimity? Um how would you how would you address those folks? Um, I, I think it's so important. Um, we we have to stay educated, but we we can't be consumed by what what we're reading and constantly reacting to it. Um, we need to have some time off to do contemplation, so to speak, to do mental prayer, to to just look at God, do adoration, do traditional Latin mass, all, all of these things. We, we need to have time off. And then um, that gives us perspective on the rest of, of things. So I know um, Bishop Fulton Sheen, uh, he used to say, he used to talk about the hour that makes his day. And it was the hour that he would spend in adoration. Mm-hmm. And that was the time he said that, that the ideas for books would be born and everything. So the, the time that we spend in contemplation of God um, gives us the perspective and the calm and the poise to be able to think rationally and, and, and but also bravely about, you know, what we're facing and to be able to, to go ahead and tackle um, whatever needs to be tackled. Fantastic. Uh, the book is The St. Gallen Mafia, Exposing Secret Reformist Group Within the Church. You can find it on tanbooks.com. Go to tanbooks.com, search for the book. You can use a promo code RTF10 to get 10% off. That honestly, folks, it doesn't really help me, but it helps you. 
Um, so uh, thank you so much, Julia, for being with us. This is, a, I think, a groundbreaking book. And if I were to, uh, if I were a betting man, uh, I would bet that there's going to be a part two to this book, that you're going to continue your work down uh, down this path. And I think that people are going to largely benefit from the deep dive that you have done into the contemporary villains that surround um, Holy Mother Church right now. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Thank you.